Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Uh, I'm excited to launch into a new series that we're calling It's Complicated. Uh, during these messages, we're going to be walking through the life of David and looking at his life through the lens of relationship. As you know, if you're familiar with the story of David, David had all kinds of interactions with this different people during his life, some of them great and some of them not so great. And so as we look at the life of this main character from scripture, I hope that we'll be encouraged to have a deep relationship with God that overflows into the way that we interact with one another. But before we dive into God's word this morning, let's pray and ask once again for the Lord's help. Father, we do need you. And we pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word. Would you cause us to see what we haven't seen before? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Would you rebuke us? Would you challenge us? Lord, I pray that your spirit would come in power. I pray that you would use me this morning to proclaim your word. Hide me behind the cross of Christ and cause your people to hear your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, unless you've been living under a rock for the last decade or so, you know that superheroes are all the rage these days. But in addition to some of the principled characters like, you know, Superman or, or Black Panther or Captain America, there's been a rise of all kinds of movies and stories about a new brand of hero. I'm talking about people that are deeply flawed and yet somehow good-hearted. Um, Deadpool or Venom, or if you're into Disney movies, Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, by the way, one of my personal favorite lines of all times from a movie comes from Wreck-It Ralph, where the line goes something like this, just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you have to be a bad guy. And, and that really brings the, the idea here to the forefront. There is a rise of this idea called the anti-hero. Yeah, they're the good guy or the main character, but there's something deeply, deeply flawed with them. Well, this idea of an anti-hero is not a new thing by any means. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, many of the main characters in the Bible would rightly be considered anti-heroes. For instance, Abraham lied multiple times to protect himself and put his wife in danger as a result. Um, Moses, his short temper prevented him from getting into the promised land. And Elijah succumbed to despair and hopelessness when the opposition got tough and in his face. And, of course, the person who we're focusing on during this series, King David, was certainly not immune to this tendency. Although David certainly shines in, in maybe the most well-known story of the Bible, his encounter with Goliath, there are other times where David falls flat on his faith, like in his affair with Bathsheba or his dealings with Uriah to cover up his affair, or even the episodes with his son Absalom, just to name a few. You see, even giant slayers like King David can have trouble navigating life in this intricate web of relationships that we call humanity. Sure, David handled some of the relationships in his life beautifully, like take his friendship with Jonathan. Others he botched terribly, like the aforementioned affair with Uriah or with Bathsheba and the cover-up with Uriah. And still others, should I say, were not so simple. Take the tumultuous relationship he had with King Saul or even with his general Joab. The idea is simply this. Complex people 
have complicated relationships. Living in this world as you walk through life with other people is going to make relationships complicated. Maybe that's like saying the sky is blue or water is wet. But as obvious as this statement may seem, I think that it's something that we need to keep in front of us. When we're used to seeing relationship tensions resolved in an hour or two on the big and small screens, I think we can be tempted to think that relationships are supposed to be easy or effortless. But living in this world, you know that that simply is not reality. And then to complicate matters, if you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard a statement like this. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. As if that's somehow supposed to make us feel better. Sometimes we're not good at relationships, so that, that makes the, the idea even more troubling. And the statement is not quite correct in reality. In fact, if I could amend that statement just a little bit, I would say it like this. Christianity is not a religion. It's about relationships with an S, plural. That is, we don't walk with God just by sitting by the campfire and singing kumbaya with Jesus. No, part of following Christ means that we learn not only to have a relationship with the Lord and grow in our walk with him, but also, also we learn how to interact with other fellow human beings. Um, that's why... That's why at Gospel Hope, we consistently say this, and this is our mission statement. We want to make disciples who are growing in the gospel. That's your relationship with God. As a family, that's our relationship with other believers. And while on mission, that's our relationship with the outside world. Because it is so important to have growing relationships, over the next several weeks, Pastor Rod and I are going to be exploring the life of David together with you. And we hope that the result of his study will be that we all walk away with a deeper dependence on the Lord and a more earnest commitment to be growing in our relationship, both with our Lord, but also with other people. So why David? So if you've listened to me thus far, you already heard me say that David did not always expertly navigate relationships. In fact, it seems like he had more than his fair share of, sh of failures. But here's the good news. Even after David completely blew it, even after he made mistake after mistake, God had this commentary about David's life. Look over in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse number 8. My servant David kept my commands and followed me with all his heart. And that's not an isolated instance. He, this, this type of statement is said over and over again. So somehow, in spite of the fact that David royally messed up, see what I did there, royally, play on words, okay. He remained a man after God's own heart. Now clearly, this does not mean that David was perfect or sinless, far from it. Rather, I think it means this. When David sinned, when he did blow it, he knew what to do with that sin. To put it simply, God does not expect perfect performance, but regular repentance in our relationship with him. Let me say that again. God does not expect perfect performance, but regular repentance in our relationship with him. And this is precisely why there is much to learn from David's story. You see, 
as I look in the rear view of my life. You know, perfection is a dream that died a long time ago. And I bet I'm not alone. I bet as you look at your life, you've got plenty of failures in your past and a good number of them in your future that forces you to acknowledge this reality. Godly relationships are only possible if God's grace is available. The only way that I have any hope to have godly relationships in my life is if the Lord himself steps in and says, Ryan, you've blown it more times than I can count. You've treated your wife badly. You've treated your kids badly. You haven't been the friend that you ought to be. You haven't been the child of God that you ought to be. You have blown it time and time again, and yet there is grace for you. We all, like David, have more relationship carnage than we would like to admit. But here's the good news. The God of the Bible is a God of grace. He wants to meet us in our messy, broken relationships. God specializes in mending and restoring broken people and broken relationships. So no matter what your past or your present, you can, like David, strive to be a man or woman after God's own heart and fight for authentic, godly, vibrant relationships with both the Lord and with others. Which really leads me to my point this morning. We must cultivate a heart for God. Or to say it another way, we, we must cultivate a godly relationship first with the Lord himself. So how does that happen? How do you begin to really have a heart for God in spite of our failures and in spite of our sin? I think that's where 1 Samuel 16 is so helpful for us. In this passage, we are introduced to David. Before he slew the giant, before he came that became the victorious king, and in this narrative, here's where it picks up. God has just rejected Saul as the old king of Israel. And now he's told Samuel to go and anoint a future king. So Samuel heads to Bethlehem, to the home of Jesse, in order to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the king. Look at what the text says, verse number six. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly, the Lord's anointed one is here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on his stature because I have rejected him. So it's not the firstborn who would you would expect. And apparently Eliab had the look of a king about him. So Samuel starts to go down the list of Jesse's sons. Verse number eight, Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. Samuel said, then Jesse presented Shammah. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So just to be clear, uh, the sons of Jesse are gathered. They know that the future king is about to be anointed there, and they didn't even bother to call David. Wow, I mean, that's something. He's not even present there when he's got kind of like a one in eight chance of being chosen. And it doesn't even seem like Jesse is apologetic about it. Look at verse number 11. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? Jesse responds, they're still the youngest, but right now he's tending the sheep. Well, you know the rest of the story. David arrives on the scene, tells Samuel that this youngster is to be king. 
And, and all of a sudden there's rejoicing and a party and uh, David ascends the throne. Wrong. He actually goes back to tending sheep. So why did God choose this seemingly unlikely candidate to be the next leader of his people? We're given a very important clue, and I think the key to this whole chapter in verse number 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here's what it says. Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You know, back in the 1990s, Canon induced a camera called the Rebel, and they launched a brilliant and successful advertising campaign starring none other than rising tennis star Andre Agassi. The the commercials featured Agassi with his long hair, wearing shades, driving expensive cars, sporting his non-traditional tennis apparel. And then the commercial concluded with Agassi's signature move. He looked at the camera, lowered his sunglasses, and said these famous words, image is everything. It's as if in this passage, the Lord himself is saying exactly the opposite. He's saying, I don't care about your appearance. I don't care about your background. I don't care about your resume. And I don't care about your image. What matters to me is the disposition of your heart. Simply stated, to God, your heart matters. God wasn't looking for someone who looked like a king. He was looking for someone whose heart was disposed towards him. Oh, friends, this is so vitally important. God's greatest desire is that he become your greatest desire. That's what God wants from you. God's greatest desire is that he become your greatest desire. The Lord is not primarily after your performance. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him with your soul, mind, body, and strengths. He wants you to be captured with his glory and his greatness and his goodness. He wants your heart, the inclinations, the leaning of your soul to be towards him. Friends, God is not interested in whether you're successful or handsome or beautiful or rich or where you live or what degrees you have hanging on the wall. God wants your heart. So at least in my mind, this raises the question, how do we, how do I cultivate a heart that is inclined toward the Lord? How do I get a heart that wants God? And I think as we look at this passage here in 1 Samuel 16, and we look at the shepherd who would become king, we see a couple indicators a couple of things that teach us and instruct us how we can cultivate a heart for God. So that's what I want to talk about here briefly in the next few moments. I want to just give us two ways that you can cultivate a heart for God. The first one is simply this. Serve however you can. The text plainly tells us that at this time, as we've already mentioned, that David is a shepherd. And as you can tell, 
that was not a position to be sought after at that time. In fact, if you go ahead just one chapter, again, David interacts with his brothers, and this time they use David's job as a shepherd to ridicule him. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 34, or verse number 28. Why do you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. And yet, taking care of those few sheep was the role that God had given David. And it seems that David embraced this role with gusto. Because when he begins to talk about shepherding and what God had for his life at that present moment, he doesn't talk about it as a chore, but about something that he relished and dove into full-heartedly. Look at verse number 34 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. Man, this doesn't seem to be a half-hearted shepherd at all. It seems like David dived into this responsibility that God had given him. And though from the outside, it may have looked like David was wasting his time out on the hillside and in the pastures with the sheep, God was using David's time with those few sheep in the wilderness to prepare him for something more. Look at verse 18 of our chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 18. I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. We'll return to that in a moment. And notice this phrase. It's so critical. He is also a valiant man. So how did David, this young strapling, this shepherd of sheep, become a valiant man? By rescuing sheep from lions and bears. That's how. He he took the role that God had given him at that present time very seriously. David's time with the sheep was not an obstacle to his future. It was preparation for his future. Look, part of being a man or woman after God's own heart means that we embrace the role that God has given us. We let God be God. That is, we trust God with our circumstances and take responsibility for our responses to those circumstances. How timely a reminder this is for us today. When the world feels helter-skelter and upside down like it does right now, it is critical for us, like David, to honor the Lord with our choices and let him take care of the results. Man, none of us are in a circumstance that we relish right now. None of us would have chosen things to fall out or to put ourselves in this particular state of affairs. And yet, it is still possible in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a world that is crazy and upside down right now, to honor God and be a man or woman after his own heart. So when your friends and family are cruel or unkind in person or online. You be a voice of grace and truth. Or when our society is overwhelmed with fear because of political and economic uncertainty, you be a person of faith and hope who cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Or when your career 
or plans or life itself have been on put on hold because of current events. Fight for hope because you know God has orchestrated your circumstances. Look, I know this can be difficult. I know it can be a hard pill to swallow. But look at this very carefully and think about this concept. If we can trust God with our salvation, we should be able to trust him with our circumstances. If we can trust the Lord with our eternal destiny, then we ought also to be able to put our current situation in his hands. I am certain, I'm confident that there are days when David walked with those few sheep in the wilderness out to the side of the hill and he was hot and sweaty and the sheep were stinky and stubborn. And it was uncomfortable for him to sit there. It was not his choice. It was not what he would have liked to do with his day. But God was up to something. I love how one theologian puts it, John Piper, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of three of them. God is at work and let this truth enable us to embrace the wilderness that you find yourself in. Just wherever you are, whatever you are doing, serve however you possibly can. Embrace the role that God has given you, and that is how you cultivate a heart for God. The second thing I want to point out from this passage is not only should we serve however we can, we should also worship wherever you are. This passage reminds us of, of that David cultivated a heart for God by worshiping the Lord. Uh, look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 14, to get a little context of what's going on. Now, the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. So Saul's servant said to him, You see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the lyre and you will feel better. So the servants of Saul began to search and this search for a skilled player of an instrument led them to David. And then we're told down in verse number 23 of chapter 16, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play. And Saul would then be relieved and feel better and the evil spirit would lead him. Often when we think of David, we have this image of the swashbuckling warrior of king, the slayer of giants. And rightfully so, that certainly is who he was. But we must not also forget that David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. You see, the Psalms, of which David wrote more than 70, was essentially the songbook of God's people. In one sense, it would be appropriate to say that David was a singer-songwriter. He was a composer, and his songs were about the character of God and his greatness and his glory and the situations that he found himself in. And here's the tricky thing about the Psalms. The Psalms represent the widest swath of human emotion. I mean, David just didn't write psalms when he was up on the mountaintop. He wrote them when he was in the valleys as well. David learned to be a worshiper of God in every situation in his life. There were some psalms that were filled with joy. For instance, Psalm 16, verse 5. 
Lord, you are my portion and my cup and my blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Every night when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal to me the path of life. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Amen. And that's the type of worship song we would expect to hear. But that's not all there was. Other songs express great lament. Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate you, me? That doesn't sound very song-like at all. It doesn't sound very peppy or upbeat. David is actually in a time of deep despair, and he's bringing those despairs to the Lord. Still, other psalms are prayers of confession. Psalm 51 says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. The idea is this. Wherever David found himself, he turned his heart towards the Lord. And this is something he apparently practiced from an early age. Even when he was out with the sheep shepherding, sitting on the hillside, playing his lyre, learning to say, God is with me and I can bring my burdens to him. Here's the idea and get this in our heads. Worship is always appropriate. It's not just something that you do for an hour on Sunday. It's not even something that we just do when we sing together. Worship is always appropriate. Whether you're being chased after by a madman in the desert or whether you've just conquered a giant. It is always appropriate to worship the Lord, to acknowledge his hand and his work in your life, to bring your burdens toward him. I think one of the ways that we cultivate a heart for God is by simply living with a consistent God consciousness. Here's a question I'd like all of us to honestly pose to ourselves. Do you ever live as a functional atheist? That is, do you go hours or days at a time without giving any thought to God at all? Do we ever behave and think and live and act as if God does not exist? That is not a heart after God. A heart that is after God is one that is consistently living in light of his presence. As a famous work from antiquity says, it is practicing the presence of God. If we want a vibrant relationship with God, Maybe this is self-evident. We must relate to him. You can't have a relationship without relating to someone. Bring him your burdens. 
Your joys, your pains, your temptations, your sorrows, your longings, bring them all to him. As Jesus says in the New Testament, come to me, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to bear our burdens. He wants to hear from us. Now, my wife and I just had the privilege of celebrating 19 years of marriage. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. You may applaud now. But what type of relationship would that be? Is, is if the only time we interacted with one another was an hour on Sundays. Our marriage would be a poor one indeed. It would simply be something you know, on a paper, on a document somewhere. It wouldn't be a real and vital relationship. And yet that's often how we treat the Lord. We don't think of him as being with us all the time and we reserve worship for something that's done an hour a week at a church building or online. But if we really want a heart after God, worship is always appropriate. Worship wherever you are. Relate to the God of the universe. He invites you to have a relationship with him. So you may hear this and think, Ryan, man, I want to have a heart for God. I, I really do. I want to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. But honestly, even these two things that you mentioned, you know, serve wherever I'm at, worship whenever. Man, if I'm really honest, I mean really honest with myself, even those things seem out of reach. Well, here's the good news. Later in David's life, he wanted to build a house for the Lord, build a temple. But God responded to David in both a very unexpected and an extremely gracious way. Look at what it says over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is the Lord talking. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on earth. And then look at verse 11. This is key. The Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up a descendant after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. You see, David proposed to build a house for God, but God said, nope, David, I will build a house for you, and it will be far greater and far more lasting than anything that your feeble hands could put together. The ultimate fulfillment of this promise was that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, into the line of David, to be the king that we desperately needed to rescue his people, not from some political or national enemy, but from sin, death, and the devil. Here's the principle. God is saying, even when we feel inadequate, even when we feel unable, through Jesus, God has done everything that is necessary for us to have a relationship with him. We don't have to build a bridge to make a relationship with God. God has built a bridge to make a relationship with us. And that is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
So if there are failures in their past, which there are, run to Jesus. If you've been unfaithful, which you have, come to Jesus. If there are broken relationships in your rearview mirror, which there are, come to Jesus. And if you, like David, are a bit of an anti-hero, which I guarantee is true, then come to Jesus. Look, the good news for people like us in this complicated world where relationships are complicated is that we don't have to figure out a way to have a relationship with God. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. All that you need to contribute to your relationship with God is the brokenness that he needs to mend. Come to the Lord and you can begin to be a man or woman after God's own heart. Say, Ryan, I desperately want that. And right now, my heart is inclined to Jesus. I'm leading into him. How do I begin to take steps? How do I begin to develop a heart that is deeply dependent on the Lord and relying on his grace to make me whole again? Let me just give you two suggestions as we close. The first one is this, worship him today. We talked about this idea that worship is always appropriate. And right after I pray here at the end of the sermon, we're going to have a time of worship right here online. We're going to sing a song together. And what I would encourage you to do as we sing, let that song be more than just words on the screen. Let it be the cry of your heart that you need the Lord. You want a relationship with him. You want to incline your heart to him. You want to begin to be a man or woman after God's own heart. He doesn't expect your performance. He doesn't expect you to be perfect, but your heart matters to him. So worship him right now. No matter your past, no matter your failures, turn to Christ and worship him. Then I would also say this, worship him tomorrow. As we talked about, we need to practice the presence of God. So Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, let every day be a time where you are practicing the presence of God. Maybe it's grabbing hold of one of the Psalms and just owning it as your own. Maybe it's singing out loud to him in the shower if you're a bad singer, but everybody's a good singer in the shower. Maybe it's grabbing hold of a text of scripture and meditating on it and reciting it and memorizing it. Maybe it's taking a walk and praying and talking out loud to the Lord. Maybe it's all of those things, but I would encourage you, don't just limit worship to something that you do once a week, but it is always appropriate to worship the Lord. Gospel Hope, let's be men and women after God's own heart. If we want to have healthy, horizontal relationship with others, it starts with us seeking the Lord and having a healthy relationship with him. And here's the beautiful gospel truth. We don't have to make a ladder up to heaven. God created a staircase down by sending his son to do all that is necessary so that we can have a relationship with him. It's complicated, yes. But God has done the work that we could not do ourselves. And so let's trust in Jesus so that we can have healthy relationships. Let's pray together. 
Father, I pray that in this complicated network of relationships that we call life, that we would value our relationship with you. I pray that all of us would become worshipers, we would serve where you place us, and let you be God. Oh, Father, would you move in our hearts and help us, help us to have hearts that are inclined towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.